Hello everyone and welcome to the 13th episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. Whoa, I did that intro. Really weird. Hi, this is episode 13 of the Tuesday Night Podcast. I'm your host, SBJ, and with me tonight, as I sound very professional, I have Sean. Mm-hmm. Yep, you do. And I also have Alan. That's me. Hey, <laughs> I'm co-owner of Tuesday Night Games and mm. one of the schlubs that made Two Rooms and a Boom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Are we are we going to talk about Star Wars? I'm looking. Shut at up, SBJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course we're going to talk about Star uh, Wars, but to. you know what? I I think we should stick with our tradition of just staying on topic. So we're just mm-hmm. going to stay on topic Barrel today. Through. As always, we're going to keep it nice, crisp, thirty minutes maximum, no longer. <laughs> oh shit! There's a dog outside. Hold on. Well, we're off to a great start, SBJ. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm looking at all the notes. So uh, what we got for you guys today is uh, we're going to do our table talk of what we've been playing. Uh, we have our topic of the episode, which we talked about last week, which are games that are going to be between 20 and $40 that you could get your significant others or your family or your friends or your enemies for the holidays. And then if we have time, we have some interaction satisfaction. I'm actually going to get this interaction satisfaction r- done right out of the way here. Uh, we said we. Oh, you want to do a first thing? Yeah, I think that's the first thing. I, if we're going to stay on task, we probably should. But uh, let me ask, how do you guys feel about episode 12? Any residual muck in the ribs or anything about that? Are you talking about Star Wars? <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> talking about our last podcast episode. Yeah, where we talked about Star Wars. I feel yeah. good. I feel good. I feel fine. I, you know, we got some good feedback, actually. I was surprised, um, but I maybe that's just a testament that pretty much only our friends listen who know us. What was, what was what, did you get any bad feedback? No, I got no bad feedback whatsoever. How about you, SBJ? Uh, no, I didn't get, uh, I didn't get anything. Um, oh, wait, th- that isn't true. I did get one little note that as soon as, uh, Anonymous said that <laughs> as soon as, white males was said and uh it was an automatic eye roll so i was like oh here we go <laughs> i know what he's talking about every time i hear about white males i'm rolling my eyes too yeah white males <laughs> oh yeah. here we go what did they do this time yep Good yeah that's brother. me <laughs> uh my only re- there was definitely that rambling session that i had for five minutes and as i listened to it, i was like oh all I wanted to say in a much more concise <laughs> manner was that unconditional positive regard will change minds much more than lines in the sand will. And that's all I really wanted to say was when it comes to arguments, the more you dig your heels down, the more of an enemy you make. But if you actually show that unconditional conditional positive regard, that's the first step in actually changing someone's mind, in my opinion. Yeah. And so instead of just saying it like I just said, I went blah 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 <laughs> for five minutes. Solo Wookie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also learned this is in many episodes, and I appreciate it because I totally trust your judgment, SBJ. But there's been so many episodes where I've said you can edit that out, and so everyone gets to hear it. So obviously that wasn't edited out. So. <laughs> oh no, I think that's super funny in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so cool. <laughs> yeah, I t- I've I've enjoyed it too. So I, I totally yeah. You can edit all of this out. All right. this part yep. here. Yeah, perfect. The the cool thing I don't know if it's well. It was at least interesting to me. So I run a Slack community which is full of people who love Pokemon because the community is based off of my other podcast where it's my listen. My, what what? It's super effective. It's super effective. Yeah, that's my other podcast. And a lot of them listen to the Tuesday Night Podcast because they, because uh, I talked about, I've talked about board games on there before, and I don't know, maybe they like my voice, maybe they like how I host or put on a show, but a lot of them listen to this show, and it was funny because when both, I edited both episodes the same night, and I released them pretty much within 24 hours of each other, and almost everyone was like, wow, yeah, it's, it's super effective, it was really good this week, but um, the Tuesday Night Podcast was really good. Like, it was, it was a lot better this week because of the content they covered, and I, I obviously, they were specifically regarding the Cards Against Humanity talk we had. So that was, like, kind of a cool perspective to see. We cool. just start shitting on Cards Against Humanity every week to increase <laughs> yeah, our Just to increase our viewers, yeah. Speaking of an amazing amount of viewers, 
you guys going to see Star Wars on Friday? No. I don't know if I'll see it on Friday. I completely forgotten about it. Um, so SBJ, you said no, meaning are you going to see it at all or not on Friday? Uh, I'm not a Star Wars fan. I, I'm in the Star Trek audience. Hmm. Uh, I never. Uh, you, so you, you think you're better than us? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it looks cool. Uh, I have not seen all the movies. I think I've seen like one, two, three, and four. No, Ooh. not three. Four and five. I've never seen six. I've never seen three. Okay. And so Irene's never seen any of them, but she likes J.J. Abrams a lot. So I think we're going to watch all of them, and then I will eventually see it. So my wife is in the same boat as your lady, Irene, and we went out and we got the complete Blu-ray set, episode one through six. And we, I asked her how she wanted to start, and she wanted to do them upon release. So we started at episode four. I've heard of a machete technique, I think it's called. The machete technique is you show someone episode four, five, then mm-hmm. two, three, and then six, hmm. because that gives you the narrative arc of... The Vader. Yeah, and there's no episode one in it whatsoever. Oh, I don't... I like episode one just because of the pod racing. Pod racing was pretty cool when I was... Yeah, like I would fast forward just to that. I know kids, though, like, you know, that, uh, you know, my friend's children who grew up watching it, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, and they cried at the end because they were so enamored with Anakin's uh, storyline, you know. Oh, that's interesting. Anyway. Yeah, it's, I mean, they're just kids, right? I don't think seven or eight year olds, like, judge the Star Wars movies the way, like, we would, you know, as seven or eight year olds and then later as 30 year olds. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I don't know. It's a big, it's a big, uh, neither of you guys saw any of the original three movies in the theater. Did you No. no, the earliest I saw them was when they did the special edition re-release. I saw those in the theater as a kid, but none of the others. I have opinions. Interesting. <laughs> it's true. Shut up, Alan. <laughs> what do you got? What do you, I mean, uh, we already uh, talked about Cards Against Humanity. We might as well talk about the other thing, Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars. So it's beloved in my heart. And I have to admit, when I go back, uh, of course, I'm not as enthralled as I was when I originally saw them. But they're such an integral part of who I am and my geekiness today. And I, I know I'm not alone. And I'm never going to be one of those people to tell people to stop enjoying something they enjoyed. I'm one of those individuals that didn't hate episode one, two, or three, but I definitely thought they could be better. And eventually I saw someone's take, actually read someone's script of this is what it should have been, and it's online, and they made a YouTube video of it. And it made me realize, oh my goodness, these movies could have been so good. Oh man, and that was what really, really hurt. Uh, but I'm I'm super stoked about what's coming up. And one thing that has given episodes one, two, and three some redemptive value is I'm not sure if you guys have heard of the theory of Jar Jar Binks being the mastermind behind all of the people. Yeah, I've heard yeah. that. It's actually really, really compelling. I love fan theories like that, man. It just sort of gives a new life to it. I mean, I'm not a Jar Jar Binks fan, but I wasn't. Not a fan either. I, the prequels came out when I must have been like 11 or 12, something like that. And they weren't like a huge letdown to me. I was aware they were a huge letdown to other people. And so I think it got into my system like this isn't good. But it was sort of like I remember seeing the second Matrix movie when I was like 14 and being like, oh, man, more Matrix. And then people walk out of the theater being like, they fucked it up. And I was like, what are you talking about? Neo was there. <laughs> I just didn't have that concept of like a thing not living up to the original that that idea hadn't even been born in my mind yet i wanted the second matrix to be so good so badly and i walked out of there with this feeling like okay (laughs) three better finish this up they they better nail three to make two better because i'm basically i'm waiting on three to see if i like two and then three came out and not that anyone cares about my opinion (laughs) oh i oh you know, it's weird that I, after episodes two and three, I said, you know, this is kind of a testament to how, I guess, privileged my life has been that some of the worst times in my life are movies that have ruined other movies for me. Like, oh, <laughs> this is one of the worst things ever. The no, just... you, you ruined the first one. It was so good. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, man. 
I haven't had that. Like things don't ruin past movies for me, but they do. I remember I was watching the first Matrix movie like every weekend as much as I could. Um, and when the other ones came out, it was like I didn't go by the box set. I didn't watch it anymore. It was just like it wasn't that I liked the first movie any less. It was that my fervor for being obsessed with it went away, um, which is probably a good thing in retrospect. But I stopped compulsively, you know, watching it over and over and over again. Yeah. Going back to Star Wars, two last mm. points. I think in my mind, there's two main things. One, the first three episodes aren't as good as, I mean, episodes one, two, and three aren't as good as four, five, and six because of the humor. The humor in episodes four, five, and six is so good, and I think it's aged really well, too. And it, that humor is basically Harrison Ford. He has yeah. these great moments in a serious world. They just had no one like him. Yes. And then in episodes one, two, and three, they traded in all of that character humor for slapstick humor and ridiculous childish stuff where it's like, what? This, this is supposed to be funny? Which is why the theory that, no, no, Jar Jar Binks's slapstick humor isn't funny. It's all part of his deception to throw people off. But if you notice... His clumsiness actually wins the day in too many occasions. And his word was the final action that made the empire. Jar Jar Binks was the one who stood up in front of the Senate and transformed it from a republic to an empire. He's the master. <laughs> yeah. I for the life like, of, go for it. I hated C-3PO as a kid. I've never been a fan of C-3PO, but all of a sudden Jar Jar Binks comes out. It's like, 3 PO's okay because he was at least in 4, 5, and 6. But I was, I was like, why are we following this idiot robot around? Like, he's bumbling into things. Him and R2-D2 are just sort of running around, saving the day. Like, I mean, I love R2, but I think people forget that, like, 3PO was a goddamn moron. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because I just showed Crystal. She just saw the... Crystal, my wife, saw the episode four and mm. oh, it was so good. And it's weird because as a kid, episode six was my favorite. Did you guys hear that sound in the background? Mm -mm. No. Okay, cool. Sorry. Uh, episode <laughs> you can edit six, that out. Yeah. <laughs> edit that out, SVJ. God, I'll uh, get it right on it. All right, cool. Episode six was my favorite as a kid because like, oh, Ewoks. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. And they had ATSDs in the jungle. Boo -boo. Speeder bikes. Yeah. It was an amazing thing. It was just eye candy for me to guzzle up as a little kid. And as I got older, I realized, oh, man, the third one's the worst one. Just like as a kid, Temple of Doom was my favorite. But now it's uh -huh. almost as bad as the Crystal Skulls. I know that some people can totally disagree with that. But... Now it's Empire Strikes Back is my favorite episode. My father thinks I'm crazy. He's like, that's such a dark episode. It ends so, uh, and it was one of the first movies my father could think of where it ended in a cliffhanger. Kind of like Matrix 2 where it didn't conclude. But man, I love that. And anyways, going back to your original point, watching episode four with Crystal for her first time, I freaking love CPO. There was so much comedy relief there. <laughs> Just his interaction with R2-D2. Oh, man. It gets me even more now that I'm older. It's aging great. He's like a confused butler. Oh, dear. Yeah, I just, I oh, love the oh, idea dear. of a... I love the idea of a robot getting insulted. Oh, my. Well, I've never... Oh. <laughs> Fine. I'll go this way. I don't care if you're going the other way, R2. Obviously, I don't know the lines well enough. <laughs> a decent impression from at least what I remember of seeing of the movies. Oh, cool. Which is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> ah, what do you know? You like Pokemon. That's true. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, I wanted to mention for the longest time, I didn't know why it was called Super. It's Super Effective. And then I remembered after listening to your last episode, oh, right, because that's like their equivalent of critical. It's mm -hmm. super effective using. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So pff, dumb. So that tells you how long it's been since I've played a Pokemon game. <laughs> Puns. <laughs> uh, speaking of my podcast, I can relate that back to this podcast, which can relate back to we have an iTunes winner. Oh, that's right. Whoa. What? Uh, so I. Uh, I appreciate everyone who left the Tuesday Night Podcast reviews in iTunes. We gave away a copy of Two Rooms and a Boom, 
the first month we were recording, what was that? September? October? October. Um, so this would be our winner for no- November. And the winner is, so uh, I, I'll need the winner to contact us. So you can contact us at podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. That way Let's I get the get drum you. roll. Get the drum roll before you uh, announce That's it. right. Ooh, nuts. The winner is D24D24D. Mm-hmm. And they wrote in saying, great podcast that has enlightened me to new games I've never heard of. Great hosts that I've enjoyed many years on other podcasts. Keep up the great work. Sweet. So there we go. This is clearly not just a randomly generated username and review. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a reference to a Star Wars droid. So this is all Mm, coming full circle. D24D24D. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Remind me of R2D2. But I wasn't sure if that was actually a Star Wars reference because I don't know Star Wars as well as you guys. Yeah, do you yeah, know the type of It takes a droids? real hardcore fan to know who R2-D2 is. No, I mean like D- <laughs> D2-4-D2. D2, D2. Uh, do you know what kind of droid C-3PO is? A butler? A protocol yeah, the, droid. The protocol droid. Do you know what our winner's droid he's referencing? Is it like a X-Wing droid? No, no. It's actually a sexual slave trader droid. So <laughs> Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, that may be true or not. Speaking of which, I have my surprise for you guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's your surprise? You guys remember how I, I teased this last time? The surprise is, even though we gave away a copy of Two Rooms and a Boom, everyone who gave us full star reviews, I'm going to go ahead and for this Christmas, I'm sending you a PlayStation 4. What? Because I learned from your podcast, Steve, that there's no accountability for lying. <laughs> 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 uh wait a second I ho- that was pretty deep in my episode it, that what i listened to your full episodes do you think i just listened to the be- first five minutes man alan yeah. listens to podcasts like it's his job it's i, I care i care sbj i, I appreciate that yeah uh realistically i had a different surprise in mind but we're actually recording on a friday instead of thursday and it was a thursday only surprise so damn Thursday You'll never know. You'll <laughs> never know. Next year. Next year. <laughs> next year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, by the way, just to be clear, uh, you should be expecting your PlayStation 4. Uh, you'll need to <laughs> contact us at contact at Tuesday Night Games after you've left us an iTunes review. And if you don't have an iPhone, go get one and you'll get a PlayStation 4. Oh, we're going to get so much hate mail. I'm just I'm <laughs> sorry. Um, so good luck with that SPJ D24 D24D uh, shoot us an email and we can get that information and then Sean will get that copy out to you that's correct there we go uh, so uh, only 18 minutes in the show we can move on to table talk no tangents guys let's just stay on topic come on that's right I see a lot of blue on this list which is Alan Sean has one thing Alan. Ah, I love the topic of the episode. Man, what haven't I played this week? <laughs> That's a more important question. Chess. I've, <laughs> chess. <laughs> I haven't played chess. I played Dungeon of Fortune, which is a relatively new game by Tasty Mitchell Games, yet by Yellow Games. Deception, Murder in Hong Kong by Gray Fox Games. I played a pathetic amount of Slap Captain Kirk on Facebook. I'm not sure if you guys followed that link at all. Uh, and then also I played Nefarious, which is a new game from USopoly designed by Donald X. Vaccarino. And I think the X stands for Xbox. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Okay. I think I've heard that. Yeah. Let me go edit some Wikipedia pages real quick. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, the one I probably would want to talk about would be deception murder in hong kong that's the one that sounded the most interesting has gray fox games made other games yeah might know of yeah i did a video for one of their kickstarters it's a game where you get to pick whether you run fight or die i usually pick die all right that sounds like a solid option it's kind of like when lose banana (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a zombie dice rolling game run fight or die you roll dice and that's another one from gray fox games i think they've made more but uh, run, fight, or die is from Richard Lanius. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. But you guys want to hear about... Absolutely. 
because I spent 12 hours in Hong Kong this year. And so I feel uniquely qualified (laughs) to listen to you talk about this game. All right. Well, uh, I'll get in the elevator for a second. But excuse me. Wait, wait. Who's who am I with? Just a bunch of uh, Chinese people. (laughs) Don't make it racist. Go. All right. Hey, so here we are in Hong Kong, but this isn't any regular Hong Kong. No, this is the neon bathed city of Hong Kong. Grizzly murders have been taking place, but we're investigating a specific one. We are a team of investigators arriving at the scene of the crime to discover who the culprit is. But here's the weird twist. One of us is actually the culprit. Yes, this is another hidden role game. It plays uh, four to 12 players in just like 15 minutes. I'd probably say 12 and older, although the box is 14 and older. What's amazing is one of us is actually the murderer. One of us is the forensic uh, scientist. Yeah, and the forensic scientist plays the part of the host of the game. Everyone has to try to figure out who is the murderer and what weapon they use, but also the sick murderer loves to leave clues behind. So you have to figure out what was the clue they left behind and what's the murder weapon. Imagine this, all of us are sitting around a circle. We all have two cards, each one's a clue, but we also have four cards. Each one's is a means for killing someone. And we have to figure out who did it by the forensic scientist giving clues that are posted on cards in the form of words. It's basically, Codenames meets Mysterium in a nice tight niche. Ten minutes. Let's figure out who that murderer is, Hong Kong. Boyola. I don't know what that means. I'm unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm an American in Hong Kong. So, yeah. So I love, uh, love, 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 love hidden role games. My question right away, is this worth getting? Let me tell you something. It's not. He, Yes. In yes. fact, oh my goodness. He, we played it with just four players. It showed up in my mail because I kickstarted it. it. Showed up on Tuesday. So that same evening when I got it, pulled it out, played it. It's super quick and easy to learn, super quick and easy to play. Uh, and we only had four players. I was worried that this would stink because that means there was just three investigators, one of which was a murderer, and then just one host. So imagine those cards like I told you. But then basically there's random cards that get put out on the table and they're these long vertical cards. Each one of them has six different words on them. For instance, one of the cards says cause of death and then the forensic scientist can't make eyes or expressions or anything is silent, much like in code names and just takes a bullet token and can put it on like suffocation or severe injury, loss of blood, illness, disease, poisoning. It's accident. So the the forensic scientist is trying to get everyone else to guess who's the murderer just by placing these bullets down for each of these little things. Uh, And there's only three rounds of that, and everyone only gets one guess. So if everyone wastes their guess, the murderer gets away. Or if time runs out, basically, the murderer gets away. Really cool, even with just four players. And I imagine it's probably even more fun with 12 players because then instead of just having the murderer and the investigators, you can have an accomplice, you can have a witness, you can even have a master detective. So there's other roles you can add into the game, but we just played it pure old vanilla. It was magic. Oh my God. That sounds cool. I'm seeing here they have some sort of bullet tokens. Yeah. Yeah. Are they cool? You like them? Yeah. They're like plastic bullets i just want to get a plastic gun and play some russian roulette with it there you go (laughs) yeah but yeah so instead of just having little meeples or something that the forensic scientists would put on these cards they just put the bolts and as soon as they put the last bullet down everyone has 30 seconds going around robin so each person gets 30 seconds to explain what they think is going on and who is the murderer it's really cool it's really tight it's really simple too enthusiastic thumbs up so yeah. Its subtitle is Murder in Hong Kong. Is there a planned expansion like Murder Somewhere Else, or is that just sort of for flavor? It's kind of for flavor because all of the cards also have a Chinese written on them. 
Mm. So, and I think the game may have originated from China because the designer is Toby Ho. Now, I don't know, maybe that's a China, someone from China, not sure. I'm but, seeing that it's previously a game called CS Files um, that was published by Jolly Thinker. So I think you're right that it was a Chinese game originally. Yeah. Mm, okay. But they had a ton of stretch goals, which just added in a t- ton of cards. For instance, some of the clues are meeples or a board game collection. So there's these cool little extras in there. And there's so many cards for infinite replayability. It's really interesting. Man, it looks great. I really want to get that. Do you think, uh, maybe you, you can't answer this. This will be my last question. Um, so you play with four. So how do you think 12 people would do? Do you think that would be too much, too crazy, too many people? Or do you think it would scale appropriately? couple of things. I think it would scale appropriately because it was too easy to catch the murderer with four players. So we did something different that wasn't in the rule book. So, of course, as always, I would recommend some house rules. Basically, before the character cards were dealt out and we found out who the murderer was, what we did is all the players, meaning three of us, the investigators, before we knew if you were a murderer or not, would go ahead and look at the possible cards that were out between in front of us players, but also that, um, that were on the table. And we would say, okay, I'm ready. And what we were doing is we were planning if we got the murder card – if you become the murderer, you choose which clue you're going to leave behind and what murder weapon you used. Now, it's really important to choose really good ones that are really difficult for people to figure out. So you'd want to choose a murder weapon that is really similar to something else that someone else has. For instance, if I have a machete, I'd probably choose that if SBJ, you had a knife, and Sean, if you had a sword or something like that, I would choose machete because there's overlap there. So what we did is uh, make sure that the murderer, before you even know you're a murderer, we just say, I know exactly what I'm going to choose if I'm their murderer. So you didn't have to hurry up and do it before the first round even began. So I I think with more players, that probably wouldn't be necessary because there's going to be so much obfuscation and confusion with more and more players. But the cool thing is, it says in the rule book, if it's too hard at your current player count, you can reduce the number of cards or you can increase the number of cards. So it's a matter of that. If, if you find that the murderer is constantly getting away or constantly getting caught, you can totally adjust. Cool. That sounds cool. And not a lot of social deduction hidden role games work well at four players anyway um, without significant modifications. So the fact that it does is pretty cool. Yeah, and my wife was one of those players. So oh, if, wow. if Crystal's playing it and she's enjoying it and it's a hit <laughs> and roll game. game, it's a good game. It's That's solid. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. It's good to hear. Uh, Sean, you want to talk about the game you played? Sure, yeah. I played a, a game called Oni Rim by Z-Man Games. Um, hopping on the elevator here. I'll try to bust through this real quick. So Onirim or Onirim or whatever it's called is a, a solo or two-player dream exploration game. Uh, the mechanics are primarily drafting and set collection. It's got this gorgeous abstract art in it and uh, very simple icons. And basically you are trapped in a dream and you're trying to collect these eight doors so that you can escape from the dream. Um, but there's also nightmares in the dream who are trying to kill you or scare you or whatever nightmares are really trying to do. And it's, it's, I think it's really fun. I mean, it's intended as a solo game, so it's a very solitaire-esque game. Stepping out of the elevator now, sixth floor. Wait, I meant to go to the seventh floor. Shit, anyway. Um, so I played it once by myself, and then I played it once with my girlfriend's niece and nephew, who are, I think, five and seven. The Z-Man version that I got came with tons of expansions uh, for like 25 bucks. I bought it at BGGCon. If you like solitaire type games, I think this is a, a good game. It's it's hard and there's a you know a lot of room to grow and expand it. Um, the two player game is fine. I'm gonna try it out with my girlfriend and see if it's any good. It's definitely tough with two kids who are hopped up on sugar, but you know it's kind of a draw and place game. You draw, you play, you draw, you play. The thing that sort of frustrated me about it, and I think Alan can relate to this, is the components are gorgeous. Like when you open up the box, there are these wings that unfold. There's a cool little token. Um, the books have all these interesting die cuts in them to fold together. But when I was reading through it, there was not a ton of function to the components that would have been useful. Like, there's some things you need to reference every now and then. There's no quick reference guide. All the expansions are mixed together with the regular cards of the base game. And so it's difficult right out of the bat to tell, like, 
where to start. You have to do. I had to do some significant looking up to like sort and filter through everything just to get down to the base game again. And in the rule book, like it really brought up again how important rules are. They're probably the most overlooked component of game design is being a good rules writer and how to do that both with text and images. For example, there was no setup diagram, which I hate. I want to look at a picture and show me like this is how you set it up. This goes on the left. This goes on the right. This goes in the middle, etc. There was none of that anywhere. So I'm just sort of I'm looking at videos online and saying like, okay, people tend to set it up this way. I guess that makes sense. Super frustrating to me. The other thing was there were a lot of expansions in there, which I think are great, but a huge pet peeve of mine is when a rule book lists too many variants. It always seems to me like, hey, why didn't you pick a lane? Now, I get variants for different player counts. That makes sense. Like, hey, if you play with this many people, you need to do this to it. What I don't like are you could try it this way or you could try it this way or you could do it this way if you like. To me, it just says, like, why don't you do the work, game designer, and tell me which of these is the most fun and I'll just do that one. Um, but I, I feel like I see that a lot in a lot of different C main games. I agree with you. I don't, I don't care for that. I want, I, I, and I, I almost hate implementing house rules because I feel like making a sacrifice to the game where I want the game I purchased and the game I invested in to kind of have all that fleshed out for me. Let me tell you, I totally agree because we'll get back to my personal enemy that I swear sneaks in and flicks me off in the middle of the night while I'm sitting there in bed is the rule book to code names, which I burned a long time ago because <laughs> it enables individuals to say, you're playing it wrong. You're playing it wrong. It's like, man, no. I mean, I'm we're doing house rules because I disagree with the way that it's played here. And uh, so I think you want to enable people to feel fine playing the way it's written to be played. So both of you guys validated. <laughs> Well, house rules are where we get the majority of our game designers. You know, I would say your career in game design definitely starts off with heavily house ruling all your games in your library from a very early age, you know, and then making that step of, you know, we've put enough house rules in this. This is basically a different game at this point. But yeah, I'm a big believer in like, put your best foot forward. And I think, Alan, you and I have talked about this on um, Dragon's Head, which is that trick taking game that I love that you're working on and talking about. You know, this can play really well at three and it plays really well at, I want to say five. Um, do we want to include a fourth player count in there if it's marketedly worse than the three and five player experience? You know, like, do we tell people, hey, you, you can do it, but it's shitty. Or do we just not tell people to do it? And I'm not saying it is shitty. I'm just saying these are conversations we have um, because I think it's important for somebody to do it. You know, if if the three, five and seven version of the game are great and the two, four and six version of the game are shitty. Don't put two to seven on the box, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Dragon's Head is an example of one of two overly simplified approaches to game design. One approach is exactly what Sean just referenced, is when you say, this game would be better if dot, dot, dot. And it's basically you come up with a newer game where you've taken an old game and improved upon it, simplified it, maybe. And eventually, if you keep on making these versions, it's a totally new game of its own. The other way is totally free form, where why doesn't this game exist? And you just go at it and make this based off of this creative ripple you don't know you're a part of. It's very interesting. But in the case of Dragon's Head, what is interesting is it's based off of this cultural phenomenon that is a grandfathered game that's traditional known as Sheep's Head. And I'm sure some listeners have heard of it. It's actually from your neck of the woods, SBJ. Have you heard of Sheep's Head? I have, yeah. It was very popular in like middle school. Uh, oh, nice. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's pretty pretty remote in that and in Germany. So I looked up the rules, and part of the rules were just really confusing, and that's part of the game is, hey, if you can play Sheepshead, part of it is understanding what the hell the rules mean because it purposely makes some things confusing in that you can make a mistake on your turn because you forgot a rule. So Dragon's Head is Sheepshead, simplified, but then I wanted it's a five-player game. But then I was like, man, I want to try a four-player, three-player game. And so I had to make some rule changes there. And now we're at the point where people seem to enjoy the three- and four-player version almost more than the five-player version. So now we're trying the five-player version using the three- and four-player version rules. And now it's not even reminiscent so much of Sheep's Head. So it's pretty interesting stuff. But that's Just a cycle of development and evolution that uh, takes place in game design. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was a good conversation to get me over my rage that you didn't have a passenger on your elevator, Sean. <laughs> hey, oh, he I'm was, sorry, man. He was solo. That's true. It's a solo game. <laughs> solo game? Solo. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I was going to recommend Freddy Krueger or something like that for you, but hey. Bitch. Right. Sean, do you have anything else about On- Onirim? Onirim? I mean, it's a gorgeous game. I almost thought about recommending it uh, in the topic of the episode, um, but I haven't played it enough. And I feel like for me in a solitaire game, if the game doesn't totally break the first time I play it, I'm like, oh, okay, this is pretty fun. But like, would I rather play it than be on my phone or, you know, read or something like that? I'm not entirely sure yet if I'm going to be like, man, I should play that game again. The big thing is it's just gorgeous. It's really a piece of art, um, which I love. And I wish there were more games with sort of cool, abstract, dreamy quality art like that. There you go. I, of course, didn't play anything. Go me, uh, but I think I'm having friends coming over this weekend, so hopefully I can get something to the table. Cool. I guess we're going to the topic of the episode then. Topic of the episode, yeah. So Woo-hoo! this is <laughs> this is going to be our twenty to forty dollar games. Excuse me, Sam. Do you have the time? Uh, yeah, it's topic time. Ooh. And we each picked three here, except Alan picked four secretly. Just in I don't case. think it's a secret if it's a document. Just in case. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah this, this, we're trying out this document thing, so we stay on topic. As you can tell, we're 40 minutes in, and that's clearly worked. I, I guess I can go first. I guess you can. Uh, the first game I recommend between the 20 to $40 price range is Cash in Guns, second edition. And I believe that's by uh, Osamadi Games. How do you say it? Asam? Asmadi? Asmadi? As- Wow, that was amazing. I've never heard that one before. I've never heard it so dragged out back and butchered so everyone in SBJ's Neighbor's Dog could see it. So slaughtered. Well, if you listen to my other podcast, you know I slaughter Pokemon's names. What's the worst one you've done? Um, I think, so early on, uh, I would would say Blastoise. Blastoids. (laughs) Blastoids, that's pretty funny. That has become a very... uh, very funny that reference. sounds like a disease a Pokemon would get. <laughs> like, I have Blastoids. That's probably the I worst one I've done. Uh, I was just t- imagining you'd say, uh, you guys, you know, the really popular one. Pikachu. Pikachu. <laughs> you mean Pikachu? Oh, is that about, how you say it? I, I, talk, I talk fast sometimes. Uh, Cash and Guns, second edition. I think That's the is, game with a really gorgeous art, right? Uh, I don't think it has gorgeous no, art. No, I think you're being no sarcastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I don't. It's the same artist as the dude who does the Munchkin art. Right, so Sean's being sarcastic. Yeah, he's from Madison, though. I do know that. Oh, wow. But it Uh, does come with foam guns, which is why I know some stores won't carry it. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. You Uh, said it so surprised. No, like, I I, I think it's a cute, fun game. It's a party game. It's $26 on Amazon right now. Normally $40, so if you go to a a board game store, you're probably going to pay $40 for it, or $39.99, I should say. Uh, but it is a party game. It plays up to eight people. It has really good chemistry with couples. Uh, some t- a lot of times in games you get where couples either hate each other or um, team up with each other. And since you have to make a choice to point your gun at somebody every round, uh, you're going to see that relationship pretty instantly, whether couples are going to be for or against each other. But you're also going to get that with um, really good friends and strangers. Uh, when I've played with groups, it's almost like all the strangers who know each other point at each other, like friend groups point at each other because they're like they don't want to like insult the person they don't know across from the table. So it it, it becomes a really funny game, and it's it's a it's like I said, four to eight players. It's more of a party game. It's very easy to teach, and you get to point foam guns at people. So uh, I'm a big fan of cash and guns. Here's my one complaint about that game: as we're demoing World Championship Russian Roulette, which does not have foam guns. Inevitably, someone always asks, hey, where are the foam guns? Cash and Guns has foam guns. Why don't mm-hmm. you guys? I mean, it gets kind of a valid question. Uh, it's just like a useless, expensive component, you know? That's true. I found well, from a manufacturing standpoint, like if gamers can have it, they want it no matter what. Like, yeah, make them foam, make them foam foil guns. Make them foam metal foil guns that are made out of cheese and feed it to me through a straw. Let's use real guns. <laughs> Actually, now that you say that, I remember demoing the game at Gen Con, and somebody was like, this would be great if we just bring over the cash and guns guns. Oh, yeah, I bet. Sean, what's your game? 
Uh, a fake artist goes to New York, which I like, and I know Alan likes. Um, it's kind of like, which is, it's like Pictionary Spyfall, right? Um, it's about $28, depending on where you get it, because you kind of have to import it. You can find it on Amazon, I believe, or on the BGG online store, or at your game store, if your game store is super hip and likes to import Japanese games, um, which I wish mine did. Uh, super tiny, super great stocking stuffer. I think it's one of those games that you really can play with anybody and it's easy to replicate from a print and play standpoint on your own. Um, but it's definitely a game. I feel like you could break out Christmas day, play that night and have fun. Uh, not a lot of rules, not a lot of components. You could just dive right into it. Alan. Uh, for my first one, I will simply say deception, murder in Hong Kong. But here's the interesting thing. It goes for $25.49 at Cool Stuff Inc. And Cool Stuff Inc. is Gray Fox Games, from what I've heard. So Cool Stuff Inc. decided, you know what? Why don't we start publishing games on our own? And they became Gray Fox Games. Oh, I didn't I've, know that. Yeah. And so I also heard some unofficial bad stuff about their dealings. Ooh, I want to hear that. You know what? I Forget would, the topic. <laughs> yeah, I would go into detail about that, but two things. It involves a friend of ours who made me promise I wouldn't talk about it, especially publicly on a podcast. Mm. And if the information is inaccurate, that's technically slander. So for all I know, it's all bullcrap. It's probably not. But anyway. I'm a big well, fan of cool stuff, Inc., though. I order from them all the time. Yeah, and it's funny because... I never do because of my friend and the story he told. I never order from Cool Stuff Inc. because I'm that guy that if I'm going to order from online. I'm going to order from Amazon. the devil, you know. Well, I'm I think gonna... it, it may not show up on Amazon because of this. It, it's oh, it will probably be you probably won't be able to get it through other online retailers because it's Cool Stuff Inc. Because okay. why? Yeah, why not? That I mean, as a business, I feel like you could just. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't. You. You guys probably know how selling on Amazon works way more than I do, since you guys sell two rooms and a boom on Amazon. This is true. <laughs> yes, we do know more about Amazon than you. Fair. And we, <laughs> no, you know what though? I just I looked for other places to buy Deception Murder in Hong Kong, and I couldn't find it anywhere but Cool Stuff Inc. But it's brands making new here this version in America. America. So maybe this will change. I don't know. Okay. I see. My uh, my second game is Agricola. Did I say that right? I think I did. <laughs> that is not how I hear Agricola either. Dang. <laughs> I hear Agricola. Sometimes I hear Agricola from a moron, but I've never heard Agricula. Stop Dang. picking on Bagel. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. I think it makes you unique. <laughs> um, creat- so the version I'm recommending is All Creatures Big and Small, which is actually the two-player only version, and that's from Z-Man Games. And it normally retails for thirty nine ninety nine, but you can get it on Amazon right now for twenty nine twenty one. And I think uh I think we're known to talk about a lot of party games, a lot of hidden role games, a lot of like big group games, and I I'm I'm saying that now as Sean talked about a single player game earlier in this episode. But uh Agricola, all creatures big and small is a two player game. I think the rule book is very easy to understand. I think it's great for you and a significant other or you and a friend if you're waiting for people to come over. Um, it plays in like 15, 20 minutes. It's I, it's pretty competitive, but still has like not not luck, but like you can still plan a strategy if your opponent kind of screws you over. You can kind of try to work around that. So I really, really like it as a two-player game. And yeah. Nice. Um, with my last two games, I kind of went with games that I don't get to play as much as I want to, but I really like um, a lot of the a lot of times my picks are games that hit my table a lot or a lot for me. Um, but Star Wars, the X-Wing miniatures game or Star Wars Armada, if you prefer the bigger fleet battles, I really loved. I played it the first time I bought it. I bought a bunch of, bought a bunch of stuff for it. I showed it to my friends. My friends had a good time. Uh, I pitched it as a super short game, and it took us like an hour and a half the first time we played it. Um, but what I liked about it, I mean, what took us an hour and a half was like people were going out to the hallway to scheme and like talking in depth about their dog fighting moves, which is kind of anti the point of the game. Maybe I should have incorporated a timer or something. But in terms of, I you know, I grew up wanting to play Warhammer 40,000 and Warhammer Fantasy and all those games, and I've never been able to 
really get into miniatures in the way I would have liked because of the time and financial commitment. But Star Wars had that Star Wars the X-Wing game had that feeling to me of just getting in, playing, dogfighting, you know, moving around. It was tactical, it was fast. And to play it and have fun, it was, you know, relatively cheap. I think you can get it for $40, $39.99. Um, and if you really get into it and you want to expand, there's, you know, tons of pieces to your heart's content. But it doesn't it doesn't feel like hero clicks to me, where like if you don't have a massive collection, you're not having fun. I mean, the base game comes with you know, TIE Fighters and X-Wings, and that's more than I need to have a great time. But if I wanted to, I could get the Millennium Falcon, I'm sure. But yeah, Star Wars X-Wing miniatures. I wish I got to play it more. Cool. Alan? I'm starting to realize I shouldn't have even referenced besmirching Cool Stuff Inc.'s name because they're probably going to sell a lot of our games in the future. So I love Cool Stuff Inc. as well. <laughs> Speaking of which, you I'm sure me, you can... You want me to cut something? or In your usual way, sure. No, I've, I've got no shame. So no worries. Don't worry about that. I mean, I only threw your... Uh... Yard master friend under the bus like two episodes ago. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Uh, Patrick's a good guy. I'm sure he'll laugh it off and give us hugs regardless. So the rest of mine, I'm just going to shotgun out there because we've talked about them plenty in previous episodes of the podcast. Monikers, $25, 2 to 16 players. I recommend the cooperative version. Rules are in the back. It's about two minutes per player. Shut up and sit down called Monikers. The most you will ever laugh playing a game. So if that doesn't sell it, I don't know what else will. But I feel right like I said that about Fun Employed, too. Really? I don't know about those guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also would recommend Two Rooms and a Boom. Same price point, $24.99. Six to 30 players, 10 minutes. Uh, and it's yeah. going to be out of stock in like six days. Yeah, so good luck trying to get it. We're working on second edition now, so hopefully we can get that off and running. And then last but not least, Spyfall for $35. For those of you that don't like drawing, forget Fake Artist Goes to New York and go with the original Spyfall. But you can do what SBJ recommended and just do the free online thing where you can play using your phones. Yeah, I can never remember the website. I always have to Google it, but just Google like Spyfall uh web version okay and you'll get it it's like the first hit cool uh well my last game i feel like is never ever talked about even on reddit uh but it's called for sale by griffin games did i say that right yeah it's a good one i think it's pronounced sale i don't think so anyway moving on (laughs) uh for sale is a three to six player game it plays in 20 minutes it is it's like a like a two-stage bluffing game First, you're you're bidding on like different properties that show up, and what? Hold up, what hold those... up, hold up, hold up. SBJ, you always get away without doing elevator pitches. So, uh, you're getting on the elevator with an old man who hates anyone getting near his yard, especially young kids. Hey, old man who hates young kids, I hear you love your lawn. So since you love lawns so much, you can play this game called For Sale, which is about owning different properties. And then, if you figure out that kid's moving, you can sell those properties in the second part of the game. So in the first part, you're going to see a bunch of properties uh, equal to the amount of players. So if this is a five-player game, you're going to see five properties down. You're going to see, you can choose not to bid and then just take what's left over, or you can bid for properties you want. Once all the properties are sold, then everyone is going to compete by laying down the properties and see, seeing what is worth the most to win that round. And then you add up all your stuff at the end of the game, and then everyone does math, and then somebody picks a winner. I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it's good. It's almost two separate games in one. Like The first round's really different than the second round in what you're buying and then you're selling it's really cool it's really clean it's tight i agree man that's a good choice and the rule book is i think the rule book's great it's super simple they, i love games where you don't have to like keep referencing the rule book to feel like you're making a mistake like obviously the first time you play it you might be like oh are we doing this right but like once you get it you get it my final game is um hard and complicated and you've all heard of it I never get to play it uh, but i love it every time i do and it's netrunner which you can get for forty dollars um Collectible card games or LCGs, I feel like are a dime a dozen. Um, 
But the thing I love about Netrunner, I think, is the thing everybody loves about Netrunner, which is theme and the asynchronous sort of atmosphere. You are mm-hmm. the corporation or you are the Netrunner. And I'm a huge cyberpunk fan. But the thing for me is I'm so picky because when people either get it right or they get it really, really wrong, you know. And um, Netrunner is one of those games that if you're into a complicated game, if you're into a long game, a hard game, like I think it scratches all those itches for me. Um, very well. Unfortunately, so well that I never get a chance to play because I don't really have gamer friends that are into that sort of thing. The same uh, boat as you. Yeah. Well, we should get together and play it, man. Yeah, we, yeah, we should. It was it was funny because I, I absolutely love Netrunner and I had almost every single expansion except the couple that they released this year. That's when I started falling off and I have everything sleeved and like ready to go and um, Irene and I played it pretty regularly for a month straight because we were actually oh, ending nice. our like Pokemon TCG like fad because we played competitive Pokemon for two plus years and it was so refreshing to play a game that uh, uh, that wasn't Pokemon right <laughs> that like felt fair but also was asynchronous so yeah that was asynchronous rather. but then also added a bunch of tension like you are always super tense in Pokemon because like once you see a deck, you probably know what cards are in it, and you're just like, okay, as long as he doesn't have that card, I'd be good. There's something about like, to be fair, that's only people who play a lot of Pokemon things, right? That. Well, I said Pokemon competitively, right? Right. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Go on. But like to be a runner and to run against a server, and like you really don't know what's behind the server. Sure. And it's, it's both super stressful but also super exciting and you when don't you get that do in, well you feel really good yeah and you don't get that in pokemon you can be like oh i got the card i want that's exciting but like it's still hit and miss and it's the same with a server but like you feel like you're actually like almost the theme is so strong you feel like you're doing it and you're feeling you feel like you're accomplishing something that's my rant because i love netrunner nice Interesting. Netrunner got number three game of all time by Shut Up and Sit Down. You know what got fourth best game of all time? Not we Two did. Rooms in a Boom. No, it was it's... Two Rooms in a Boom. <laughs> Last year. Last year, yeah. Last year. Yeah, I think it moved up to 14 this year. That's down, bro. Down, yes. Well, up as in higher number. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Monikers landed at number seven this year. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think crickets. <laughs> I think the only really new game that made their list was Pandemic Legacy, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I, I, I had I, I had to look this up because you guys are doing their annual list. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Because the title list is top 25 games ever. So yeah, they they finished their their 50 today. Oh. I mean, but they're doing it annually, meaning they're changing it every year. Yeah, they're changing it every yeah, year. It's weird. Yeah, it's shut up and sit down. It's top fifty games ever, twenty fifteen, which I thought was you know weird. Oh, but I, I am so hurt. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Hey, I we're still on the list, man. We're so, we're fourteen. Yeah, I we're believe 14, I believe yeah. two rooms and boom is fourteen this year. Y- yeah. Wow. Oh, I need to take a bath. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> They said uh, some sweet stuff about us. I thought it was cool. Yeah, yeah. It, oh, oh, don't get me wrong. I love those guys. I love those guys. But I was under the disillusionment when it said best games ever, meaning, oh, this is a one-time deal, and we just got number four game of all time. Now I can't say that. No, nope. I've been we living can, a lie. because that's what it's called. <laughs> like, hey, they called us the fourth best game ever. I mean, in 2014. <laughs> it's, it's cool that like a year later, you're still important on that list. I feel like there are a lot of games that I buy that are good at the time, and then they kind of start collecting dust. Oh, absolutely. Man, it's final season, so I've been in bunker mode, so I haven't really been reaching out too far. So, dang it. I gotta well, catch now up. I guess we end this on a bad note for Alan. Well, no, we got to do interaction satisfaction, man. All right, all right. Alan, it's time for interaction satisfaction. Shoot us your emails, your comments, or your questions. We'll do our best to answer them. Okay, all right. Well, I'll just shotgun through these things then. Uh, Matthew Smolik, he left a whole bunch of comments saying, he said, uh, I think you all hit your stride around episode four or five. SBJ seems to have loosened up and is tossing in more jokes. Not that there was anything wrong with him before. 
says, I think the elevator pitch is the perfect balance for the explanation of gains, just enough to explain so the conversation makes sense. If listener wants more info, look it up. This is not that type of podcast. While the elevator pitches to specific types of people are slightly funny alternative, they distract from the short time you have to give info. So he was one of the ones who didn't like the specific people. Love the music, intro transition, segment intros, and sound effects. Uh, Please be prepared with basic facts about the games you're going to talk about, though. I understand when the conversation meanders someplace you were not prepared for, but if you plan to talk about a game you played, at least have the basic facts ready. Example, player count and game length. It's a pet peeve of mine for all podcasts. Shut up, Matt. And thank you, Sean, for Googling things on the fly. I think we Ryan, did. I think I we've done really good jobs at the player count and everything for our games we're recommending for the holidays. Yeah, yeah. I think we've stepped up our game because keep in mind, these comments were supposed to be for last episode. So these are almost three weeks old. So Ryan Davis has a question. Where's a good place to get terms in a boom? Sean, where can they get terms in a boom? Amazon or your local retailer. I just sent some out to uh, Guardian Games in Portland, one of my favorite game stores. It's an awesome place. Uh, Chris Bryan from Board With Life says, per your topic, what are some thoughts or design tips on implementing player interaction for players who don't who don't like direct conflict slash elimination? Because you remember two podcasts ago, we talked about how player elim- elimination sucks. You guys have thoughts on that? Uh, we should dedicate a whole topic to it. Yeah. I feel like my default answer is like more and more if they're not interested in playing just let them not play and have them do whatever what was have them do what was making them happy prior to the game starting yeah i think the main thing is to each their own uh you just have to make sure when you're designing a game that you enjoy it because you're going to be playing it so much as the designer and your friends are going to play it because those are the people with whom you're going to be playing because you can design a great game that you love but if you don't have anyone around you to play it that kind of sucks Uh, But one thing I would say as well is there's definitely things you can do with cards that eliminate bad feelings. For instance, well, I'll just use World Championship Russian Roulette as an example since it's one in mind. I remember when we played at the Plaid Hat Games Party, or sorry, Chad Hover Game Party uh, last year. They said, man, these cards are pretty cutthroat. And so instead of having action cards where it was, hey, you get to look at the top three cards. Now it's you get to look at the top three cards of your gun deck and you get to choose someone to look and they get to look at one of their cards. So it's one of these when good things happen, you get to share that good thing happening. So you get these type of teamwork and good feelings going on. Um, so, yeah, that's we can talk about that. Yeah, more. We, we can come back to that. I to just piggyback off that real quick. Uh, in evolution, a game I really like. If uh, if you eat another creature's, uh, if you eat another creature using your creature, uh, they obviously that creature dies, and that can be very hurtful or very like attack oriented towards that person, especially if they're losing. And like I, I have to eat you because you're just the lowest in the food chain. The cool thing in evolution is once they're eaten, uh, any cards attached to them. Uh, they do get like a hand refresh based off of what was eaten. So like yeah, they lost a creature, but now they have way more cards. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Uh, Don Stroud says he loves hearing his name. Say it more. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, Don. You and say then, our name on your podcast every now and then. And Jeremiah Isley wanted to remind us once again that TheologyOfGames.com has its 12 Days of Christmas contest, 12 Days of Amazing Prizes. So make sure to check it out to enter in for a crazy list of sweet prizes. Go check out TheologyOfGames.com. That's pretty much all I They pay got. us for that advertisement? No. <laughs> no, it's a shameless plug. But I think it's good for our listeners because you get free games. We yeah, just gave out a free copy of Two Rooms and a Boom through their website today of the time of this recording. So. That's sweet. It is sweet. Yeah, awesome. that's all I have. Cool. Well, nice. uh, there you guys go. Uh, next week, we plan on talking about uh, games under $20. We'll probably all have three picks and tell you where to get it. So... Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode and last episode where we're kind of giving you guys suggestions of what to get for the holidays. Uh, Alan, where can they find you? Uh, at the Star Wars opening <laughs> this Friday. But at Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R, ding, D-I-N-G, or friend request me on Facebook because I'm lonely. Sean? You can find me on Twitter at Sean McCoy. 
Awesome. You can find... Figure out how to spell it. <laughs> There's a ding in there somewhere. You can follow me on Twitter. It is at Dragging a Lake. Otherwise, this has been our episode. Hopefully, you've enjoyed it. And we are... Ho, 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 finished. <laughs> <laughs>